Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Joe Cook standing in for Bobby Burton. And today we have Inside Texas and America's War Game, uh, very own Ian Boyd, X's and O's for uh, just basically all over college football internet and specifically for Inside Texas in these past few years. So Ian, you're on the move, even though you're still apparently in Steelers country, judging by what's behind you. Right. I'm with Dan Laws in uh, Houston, Texas. Came down for the 4th of July to see family. And uh, it's really hot in Texas, I've discovered. I had, I, I knew this, I grew up in Texas, but it was, it was something else, the heat. Yeah, welcome to, uh, I like to call them two shower days. And uh, that's, that's what you deal with down in Houston, especially in early July. But, you know, before then, <clears throat> before making those drives down or flights down, you've been writing a few things over on Inside Texas. And we kind of, do this you and I kind of brainstorm this every year and you execute it a lot better than I do uh just kind of you know general almost instructional football pieces uh things just to try and help people understand what they're seeing a couple of years ago we did a, a glossary that explains you know what's a, a in the old defense what's a rover you know what a four eye is five technique you know a bunch of different things like that and now this year you're getting a little bit more into the weeds um, and with your <clears throat> Texas Playbook 101 series, uh, which you can find on Inside Texas with a subscription, you can get four months for a dollar um, and it gets some of the best work that, that Ian provides. So we'll start out with the one you posted on June 23rd, Sim and Creeper Blitzes. And for, you know, you mentioned in the very early part of the article, the, the fire zone blitzes, which is rushing five and dropping six back into coverage, correct? Yeah. And how these these sim blitzes and creeper pressures are kind of an evolution of that uh, fire zone blitz. But instead of it's not always five, sometimes it's just four, but kind of disguised, made to look like five. Right. How do these these sim pressures, which has been in Texas defense for a while, uh, how do, what are they really foundational? What are, what are they really based around? Yeah, well, I think. For anyone that watches the NFL, has watched the NFL for the last couple of decades, one really easy way to sort of see the evolution is with the Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, they were tearing teams up. You know, they'd have like Joey Porter on one side and James Harrison on another or uh, uh, Lamar Woodley, whatever. They'd have like these dominant outside linebackers and then they would fire zone the crap out of teams. So they either of them could rush but maybe only one side would rush and then they'd bring somebody else too, or they'd both drop and then they'd bring lots of guys. The Patriots would chew them apart with spread sets and guys like Wes Welker and Julian Edelman in the slot, because with the Steelers in the three, four defense, either, either a safety is having to cover, cover Welker one-on-one -on -one without another guy too deep over the top, or one of those big outside linebackers was going to have to do it. And it just wasn't really working. And Tom Brady wasn't really fooled by all their disguises because it was just like, well, whatever you do, I'm pretty sure that that little white guy is going to be wide open. Right. Uh, and we've seen the fire zone just get destroyed in the big 12 as well. Manny Diaz was a big fire zone guy. Todd Orlando ran a lot of fire zones. And the problem with it is that when you only have six guys in coverage, if there's five guys running a route, then you only have one extra guy and he's deep. And so you just end up with one-on-ones underneath everywhere. And if you're bringing a blitz, you're probably blitzing some of your better coverage guys so that you can drop your non-traditional 
coverage guys, like a defensive tackle or a defensive end, right? And um, it just wasn't working. It wasn't. This was a big reason why Todd Orlando played so much dime is because it gave him more options on who to blitz without getting stuck with like, you know, Malcolm Roach or Anthony Wheeler one-on-one. Um, and that still happened, you know, a little too often. So the idea with the with these Sim and Creeper blitzes is it's still a zone blitz. You're still uh, bringing a, a, a pass rusher from somewhere on the field, really anywhere on the field, and you're dropping somebody back. But the idea is that you only bring four. And you discuss, you use, um, like the most basic version is if you if Texas were to find a really good edge this year, say, De, say DeMarvion Overshone becomes a really good edge, and then he's always just lurking and, and creeping on the on the weak side of the quarterback. And then offenses are like, okay, he's coming. We got to make sure we shade help over to Demo or he's going to get us. And then instead he drops back because he's standing up on the edge. And then you bring the nickel from the other side. Now you're still only bringing four guys and maybe the fourth guy is a nickel. So he's not James Harrison or even DeMarvion Overshone, but maybe the offense isn't well suited to block him. Right. Maybe mm-hmm. he's coming at an angle they don't expect. Maybe he's getting a one-on-one with the running back, so it's not him versus a tackle who's waiting for him. That's a very basic version, but that's the idea with these sim and creeper blitzes is, is that you uh, you try to do less with more, and you try to confuse the offense into who they're going to have to block so that the guy who does come on the pass rush gets an easier matchup. Yeah, I well done. I think a lot of what you, you have to put in some background, too, and explain with – offensive lines and at any level they're making their calls based on on what they see right in front of them and we'll get into this a little bit later but when you have two guys standing up and on the edges and and whether it be the Steelers 3-4 the PK 2-4-5 when you have two guys standing up on the edges and two behind them and either two or three down linemen it that's a lot of having to factor in a bunch of different directions so a line makes a call, and then all of a sudden you're bringing, you know, you a guy, like you mentioned, a guy you expect to come isn't coming. The guy you didn't expect that call it can be kind of nullified uh, just by that, you know, mixing and matching. Um, and you know, and you know, you even you mentioned this is something that gets torn up in the Big Twelve um, just because, or or the fire zone gets torn up, and that was kind of a response to it uh, as a result. Um, you also talked about uh, another thing, uh, <clears throat> this time on offense in Playbook 101, uh, the art of motion. And when I think motion, there's, there's, I think there's two extremes where you have someone like Tom Herman who really didn't use a ton of motion. And then you have Matt Canada uh, who, uh, you know, uh, Ogeron, Ed Ogeron uh, famously had some some funny quip, quips about his motion. And somewhere in the middle there is, is Steve Sarkeesian. He likes using motion a lot. Um, I think he's been quoted before. One of the, the boilerplate quotes that went around when he was hired was he never likes throwing to a, uh, a stationary receiver. And sometimes that has to do with motion, and sometimes it, it doesn't. Sometimes this motion is re- in reference to stuff before the snap. And kind of similar to those Sim and Creeper blitzes. It's about messing with the defense's head and making what they called already null and void after some motion to get them out of position. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is about just making the defense think. 
making them check and, and make sure that they can communicate. If you're playing like an inexperienced defense or a defense that's in their year one of a new scheme, for instance, and you got guys motioning all over the place, then their players are having to communicate to each other back and forth. Like, okay, now we have to, now we have to line up this way and play by these rules. Oh, wait, the receiver's over there now. So now we got to go. Now we have to line up this way and play by these rules. Um, the motion pairs really well with these, uh, hurry up spreads actually. But, um, Texas fans probably remember Brian Harson, who was not a hurry up guy at all. Um, Brian Harson also used a ton of motion because he would just love to, he would play with a lot of tight ends and he would just move them all over the place and make defenses adjust and move around and adjust. And uh, I think he knew that if he uh, moved around enough, and Sarkeesian knows this too, you end up getting the defense to play by super simple rules and really predictable rules. So then you can know exactly which play call to dial up to beat them. Because you're like, if I, if I move here, but then I move here and I move this guy here, I can get them to play this certain type of coverage. And if they're in this certain type of coverage, then I know I can get Xavier Worthy running one-on-one with a safety who's like trying to backpedal to keep up with him. And it's, you know, fight song time. So um, it's a very, emotion is a very important offensive strategy. It's very, very effective, but you have to be, it's both the sim and creeper blitzes and motion are kind of things that you have to be pretty married to. Like what makes the sim creeper blitzes work is that you have to show that you will bring pressure from all sorts of different directions or else they're going to be like, whatever they're doing, it's just, it's just these four guys are going to rush us. So we just got to make sure we block these four. You have to actually be willing to bring the corner, to bring the safety, to bring the linebackers from different angles. It's the same with motion. You have to show, you can't just motion the one time that you're going to um, try to dial something up. You have to be moving pieces around all the time so that, the defense doesn't key in on what you're up to. And also so your own players know how to do it and your quarterback understands what to look for. Cause a lot of these motions are also served to um, allow the quarterback to see how defenses respond. And then he might know something like, Oh, they're playing man coverage or, Oh, they're playing zone coverage or, Oh, this guy is shadowing worthy wherever he goes, whatever, whatever the case might be. Um, it's a, it's a in, inherent, part of the whole philosophy and package. So I think whenever we talk about motion, a lot of it is maybe with the pass game in the backdrop, like you mentioned, you know, changing rules and changing coverages to where, uh, you know, like you mentioned, Xavier Worthy could get lined up on, on a safety. Um, and that's something honestly that uh, Texas has used in in recruiting in in the in the recruiting landscape in recent years. They'll show those plays, you know, Xavier Worthy on a safety, uh, in you know, lined up in the slot, running a, a you know skinny post. They'll show those plays to recruits and say, hey, you know, if you want to have these mismatches, this is the offense for you because I'm going to put you, I'm going to find the position to put you in uh, to help you be successful, but you know, we talk about it with the pass game and, you know, changing coverages. How does motion help within the run game, uh, whether it be, you know, a, a tight end moving across the line of scrimmage or a uh, wide receiver? How does, you know, how would B. John Robinson and Rashawn Johnson benefit from, from motion to, to the extent that you need to run it, like you mentioned? There's so many different ways you can do that, um, even in the spread. Um, one thing – 
people may have noticed is that a lot of times Texas or other big 12 teams will have a slot receiver run across the formation right before they snap the ball. And you're like, Oh, here we go. Motion. They're going to do something exciting. And the slot runs across the quarterback's face and gets to the other side. And then they just run a simple, you know, inside zone dive kind of play. And you're like, Oh, what was that? Well, what that does, um, everybody loves these plays now where the slot runs across the quarterback's face and he just pitches it forward like this. Right. It's very it's, safe play. <laughs> very safe play. It's like, it's like a fly sweep. Like, uh, like your guy, Canada, you mentioned would run those, but he would run them under center. You run them with the little forward pitch. And if your guy drops it, it's an incomplete pass and the play's dead. And so you don't have everybody, you don't have your quarterback diving on the ball or you're running back, you know, stepping on your left tackles back of his knee or something awful trying to get the ball. Um, but in addition to being a very dangerous play when a fast slot catches the ball on the move like that, um, that quick change of strength of their slot receiver from one side of the formation to the other changes the rules for the defense. And so they have to, um, they have to change their coverage or they have to change their alignment and they don't get any time to do it before the ball's being snapped and they're running the basic inside play. So the defense may be processing the change of strength and maybe, um, you know, maybe the nickels running across the formation or the safeties are all rotating and one guy's backpedaling as fast as he can because now all of a sudden he's the deep safety. The other guy's racing down to the flat so that the uh, fly sweep doesn't destroy them. And um, then while you're thinking and processing all that and trying to get into your new position, they're just coming right downhill at you with the inside zone play. So, um, you know, that one's... It looks, it looks like a boring, simple play, but there's a lot going on in that one uh, that is, it gets pretty complicated in a hurry. And then obviously if you have two tight ends on the field, like Brian Harson would do, you can move those guys back and forth and play all sorts of games to get different leverage and double teams um, on the uh, defensive front to try to open a hole. Yeah. I think it's pretty interesting when you, you put it that way, you've got a linebacker trying to, you know, maybe, <clears throat> you know, figure out, okay, where's the strength? Where's the strength? And then boom, junior Angulao's in your face. You know, that's, that's probably not a, an easy task to, to take care of. Um, and then another one of your recruiting one-on-one uh, articles. And to me, one of the more interesting ones, cause I, some part of me struggles to figure out if this will apply fully to the 2022 Texas defense, but you wrote about recruiting to the two, four, five defense that, uh, Pete Kwiatkowski runs um, and involves basically two down linemen, uh, bigger defensive tackles, uh, two kind of hybridized edge rushers, one on the strong side, one on the weak side or boundary side, pretty regular middle linebackers. And then, uh, you know, a, a star who's kind of a hybrid between safety and linebacker, two safeties and, a, and two corners. So um, what's kind of the, I know you've probably gone over this in, in the past, but cliff notes on what the hallmarks of the two, four, five are. And, you know, I guess just uh, when you're recruiting for those hybridized edge positions, you know, what the, what you're looking for there. Cause that seems to be one of the, the most unique spots in, in this defense and recruiting to it kind of seems like a challenge or it could be a challenge every now and then. Yeah. Well, so those edge linebackers, like, um, you know, the Steelers would play in their 3-4 defense back in the day. Steelers now use a 2-4-5, by the way. Um, or, uh, um, 
you know, Micah Parsons for the Cowboys, probably the guy that our, our viewers and listeners know pretty well. Those guys are the most impactful players on the field, generally for a defense. It's like Lawrence Taylor, right? Since Lawrence Taylor, you have your biggest, strongest, best guy. Sometimes those guys, they'll run like a 4-4, 4-5, like they're really star elite guys at the edge position. And you're like, these guys are faster than some of the safeties. Why are they way up on the line of scrimmage? And it's because they can do so much damage coming off the edge, either in the pass rush or just racing around to uh, tackle a running back before he can get started. Um, but as we mentioned before in the three, four defense, the sort of edge hybrid linebacker guys would get neutralized by the spread because they couldn't actually credibly go cover Wes Welker on the hash and threaten the quarterback. So what the two, four, five does is that it basically spins the three, four down into a two, four. You jettison one of your defensive linemen, you play in more of an even front, but your defensive ends, instead of being big traditional defensive ends are both these like edge hybrid linebacker guys. Um, the way you get away with that being smaller across your defensive front is if your two interior defensive linemen are big two gapping types that can really stonewall an offensive line's momentum moving forward. And um, Texas is pretty well suited to that already. But um, I thought that I, I was inspired to write that in large part by the, by the commitment of Cider Mitchell. Uh, Cause he's, you know, six, six, three fifty or something. And it's exactly the sort of guy where if you have two massive guys like that inside that are tying up double teams or, or blowing up interior gaps, then you have that much more leeway to play two edge hybrids on the side, on the perimeters that are explosive and dangerous because they're not as worried about them getting exposed in the run game or Conversely, you're able to, to put more speed at inside linebacker and play smaller guys like um, uh, Ben Burkirvin at Washington or, you know, Overshone or David Benda, who's like 5'11", 225 or something, right? These guys that are quick moving, but they're, they're in trouble if an offensive lineman gets a hold of them. Well, you just, you got two monsters in front of them and maybe the offensive lineman never get a good grip on them. So you can get away with playing with speed. And um, that's, that's kind of the idea with the, that's, that's the guiding philosophy of the two, four, five. Uh, I know a lot of Texas fans don't like it because Texas was so ineffective on defense last year, but you have to understand Texas didn't really run anything like what the two, four, five is supposed to be last year. You know, they didn't have these monster hybrid edge players that could just blow up what an offense wants to do. You know, they were playing a converted Mike linebacker walk on and they were playing a, you know, tweeners that were third string on in better, better programs um, depth charts. So uh, that's what they're aiming for with some of the guys they're targeting and recruiting. And that's what they're inching towards in their roster. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think you said Burkhaven, he was, he was a middle linebacker, right? Yeah. But okay. he, was, he was like six foot. He, I mean, he looked like a, he looked like a big safety. He looked gotcha. like, I mean, he was pretty tough inside, but he was like one of those TCU linebackers. So, so you've got Burkhaven as the, you know, if you're thinking in this defense from Washington, the middle linebacker guy, Vita Vea is the easy uh, interior defensive lineman to, to note. Yeah. And then yeah. uh, I'm trying to think of some of the edge guys that came from the PK defense, whether at, I know he had some at Boise state and at Washington who both had some successes. Yeah. He had the cowboy, um, 
correct me if I, Demarcus Lawrence, right? I think so. Boise. Yeah, he went to, yeah. I'm pretty sure he went to Boise State. Demarcus Lawrence was one of his products at Boise. Um, a lot of the other ones have been more recent, like um, Joe Tryon in this last draft. And uh, they had a Hawaiian guy whose name I don't remember that was on roster already when PK arrived. And in his, <laughs> in his first year with PK, the guy had like 17 sacks or something wild playing the sort of buck position that we've been wondering if Overshun was going to play this season. So in, in that piece uh, talking about the anchors inside, you mentioned uh, some of the guys Texas has either on the roster or headed toward the roster and, and Jure Bledsoe, Chris Ross, Aaron Bryant, and Sadir Mitchell. What do you think? I mean, what, what do those guys bring to the table and are they going to be able to un- potentially unseat guys like Keandre Coburn or Tavondre Sweat this upcoming year, or is that, you know, are they going to have to wait their turn and guys like Coburn, Sweat, Ojomo, uh, you know, Byron Murphy, they'll be able to hold them off this year uh, while the, those guys get some, some seasoning on the, on the practice fields. I, it's probably a bad sign if we see a lot of those guys, I think, honestly, because they have so many, they have so much depth up front already. And um, a lot, a lot of those guys could stand, some strength and conditioning and seasoning with Bo Davis. If you're, if you're like two gapping in particular, it's just a different deal to line up across a a college guard who's been eating and lifting and practicing for three or four years after you've been, you know, just ragdolling high school opponents. So uh, Texas has a couple of guys that I think are um, playing in those anchor spots inside in the two, four, five is not really there. Like, optimal deployment like Alfred Collins who may not even do that this year he might be on the edge anyways or um Ojimo is actually pretty solid at it but you wonder what Ojimo might do in a little more aggressive well that's that's the wrong word it's a pretty aggressive technique but a little more of a athletic darting past people kind of technique but Coburn and Sweat uh those guys are tailor-made for this system and then um, Byron Murphy I we'll kind of see, but all those guys, they have so many, they have so many big, powerful dudes. I don't think we'll see these guys for a couple of years. Probably one of the big proving areas for the defense this upcoming season, for sure. So that's all your work on, on inside Texas. And like we said, give us a try. We got four months for a dollar, uh, best premium inside info in the Texas Longhorns market, but you also, uh, you've joined Substack as well uh you are writing at america's wargame.substack.com um i know you've you've kind of had some you over the you know past six or so years you've you've written a book you've hosted uh you know you've been on sb nation you've been on football outsiders but you know this is all yours what's what's the idea behind america's war game yeah well i was looking for um I was looking for a place to, to put more like big picture thoughts on football strategy and college football in general, um, to be able to cover it from a sort of a national perspective, but with more deep dives and, and a little more nuanced approach than you, than you'll get typically from, uh, media outlets. And I was actually writing a book, just kind of laying out how college football works, college football strategy and theory, um, with like the importance of space, using space and uh, on offense and defending it on defense. Then I decided to do this instead. 
and so I've uh, I had like a, a couple banked up uh, rough drafts for the book that I've been publishing as essays, just kind of explaining football strategy and what goes into modern tactics and what what wins championships. And I've been laying all that out. If you if anyone wants to subscribe, they'll have access to all of it in the archive. And then once the season comes around, we'll start breaking down specific teams this season and how they do or don't meet the uh, requirements to play high level championship football. So it'll be a lot of playoff coverage there this year. I'm excited to see it. I like whenever I see that pop into my, my inbox on the, on the email. So looking forward to see what's going on there. And, you know, you, you obviously bring all the Texas goods over at, <clears throat> over at insidetexas.com. Uh, be sure to give us a, a look over there. Anything else to add from whether, you know, what, what, what you got next, maybe either on America's war game or for uh, football, you know, the playbook one Oh one. Yeah. Well, on, on the war game, I got uh, posts coming out soon. That'll, that'll kind of describe um, how to play defense against the spread. It's called rule of three. It's sort of like what sort of personnel you have to have to defend spacing and spread spacing effectively. And then over at Inside Texas, I think it's about time we're in July to start breaking down the uh, schedule. So that'll be, it's actually, it's tough to start because I have to start with Louisiana Monroe, about, <laughs> about whom before yesterday I knew virtually nothing. You don't need to know that much, I don't think. I've yeah. There have been some times when I've been uh, been able to talk to Coach Bowden, the head coach yeah. there, and you can tell there's some comments because I think they have Alabama either the week before Texas or the week after Texas. So it's a weird three-way Alabama, ULM, Texas. And I think uh, Coach Bowden said something like, you know, hopefully we're not super – I guess this this tells you the schedule. He goes, hopefully we're not super beat up by the time we get to Austin. And, and so I think he knows that there's a task ahead of him. Wow. Did all their offensive linemen transfer out? I've been looking at their – I think one of them did, including former uh, – What's his name? The Texas. There's the guy from who went to. He's a JUCO ad. Went to Texas. He's been all over the place, and now he's up in Rutgers. I think I'm. I'm struggling to remember his name. But oh, ULM uh, is no Louisiana Lafayette. This is a very. This is the cupcake. So, but yeah, enjoy uh, previewing once, that, once and then get past that. Yeah, once I get past that, it'll be Alabama, UTSA, and the Big Twelve slate. We'll have lots. I have. I know all those teams really well. So look forward to all those articles once I. Once I get through the slog of, of uh, ULM and post that uh, uh, soon this week, I think. Should be good. Well, I'll see you in a week. We'll be at Big 12 Media Days. We'll try and do something like this up there. And uh, can't wait to see you ask uh, Mike Gundy some some more probing questions that he yeah. tries to, to deflect off of. But thank you for joining me, Ian. Thank you for watching On Texas Football. Be sure to like and subscribe. Leave a comment. Make sure you have notifications on to – you know, see whenever we drop a new video. And uh, for Ian Boyd, I am Joe Cook. Thank you so much.